You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Friday, everybody. I know it's been a short week, but I'm glad it's over. Hopefully, you guys are in the same boat. Hopefully you got big whitetail plans this uh, weekend. If not, if you don't have any whitetail plans, get those brownie points because the season is almost here. I know uh, states like Kentucky, uh, some of the Carolinas, I believe, uh, are already open. There's some guys laying down some big velvet bucks. I know uh, I have a couple friends personally who are out west, and uh, a couple have been successful chasing some mule deer and some elk. And uh, it's that time of year where we are starting to get the itch, especially with this cool weather. Now, there's a lot going on right now that we should be doing, shooting our bows, checking our gear, uh, just making sure that everything is uh, prepared and uh, so that, that when the time comes for you guys to get in the timber, you're very efficient. Uh, you can load the truck, put the stand on your back, or if you already have your stands hung, walk to your stand and you're ready to go. Um, so I always like to have a mental checklist that I kind of go through before I, I, I go on every hunt. And then another mental checklist that I do when I come back from every hunt so that my camo is not just wadded up in a ball or uh, I forgot to wash my clothes or um, my bow is, I don't know, out of tune or, or whatever the whatever it may be you have a mental checklist that you kind of walk through uh, before and after every hunt uh, so you know you're ready for the next one and uh, I used to be that guy who would take like 30 minutes to get ready for uh, an afternoon hunt and now for me it's typically like five minutes because I've put my stuff away I'm organized I know what I'm doing it just takes longer for me to figure out what stand I want to hunt as opposed to getting the gear ready now, today, we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Casey Schutman, and uh, I met Casey when I was tracking one of my buddies. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Ben Harshine, you know him, he's the owner of Huntera Maps, and uh, I met him when we both helped Ben out uh, blood trail a deer once, and uh, I've had a couple conversations with him since then, we talked uh in depth about certain things at the uh, ATA show this past year and 
So I felt he had a lot of knowledge to share about mature bucks, how to hunt them, how to, uh, I guess, uh, keep them on your property, uh, some of the characteristics of a mature buck, body language, how they act, uh, you know, how they move uh, in relationship to maybe deer from a different age class. So uh, we get into that today, and uh, I'm excited to share this information with you. This is a great podcast, especially for someone who this year might be wanting to step up to an older age class buck. And uh, Casey does an excellent job of uh, answering a question that I asked him about how to do that. So you're going to get a lot of awesome information about mature deer, how they live, what they do, all that good stuff. But before we get into today's podcast, and like I always do, the last couple times I've been ill-prepared for this, but let's see, wasp archery, wasp archery. This is the time of year, guys, where it is, you know, we, we should have our gear in check. Uh, we, uh, for me, I haven't started tuning my broadhead yet, but I have a while before I actually step in the timber to do that. That'll probably come in the next 15 days, to be honest. But uh, I'm going to be shooting a, a fixed blade from uh, Wasp this year called the Boss Float 4 Blade. I really like uh, those small fixed blades. Uh, I believe they fly fairly true uh, with little to no uh, adjustment uh, from a tuning standpoint. But uh, Wasp dude they have one of the hardest ferals in the game uh they have some uh, their blades are sharp and they're made in america right so just a well-built american-made product uh and i i definitely think you guys should go check it out and uh if you haven't got your broadheads already go get some wasp so you can visit wasparchery.com. And if you want to buy some wasp archery, some badass broadheads, uh, you can enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and you will receive 20% off of your purchase. Now, that's a that's a pretty good deal. I'm not going to lie. That's a good deal. And uh, so take advantage of that. Buy some wasp broadheads and uh, because it's time to start thinking about killing stuff. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into today's podcast where we talk about mature bucks with our good friend from, oh, I forgot to mention, he has his own uh, kind of web show. It's an online show called Man Management Advantage, and uh, he'll talk a little bit about that as well, so be sure to check that out as well. So here we are again. I'm beating around the bush. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about mature bucks with Casey Schutman. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Casey Schutman. How are you doing today, Casey? Doing good, Dan. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. I tell you what, the first time I met you, we were tracking a deer for Ben Harshine, a buck that he calls pork. We never uh, were able to, to recover that buck, but uh, uh, that was the first time I met you, and we've had some cool conversations um, since then and uh, i felt like uh, you would be an awesome guest to have on this podcast for a couple reasons and uh one of them is because you love big bucks but not the reason that other people love big bucks i would say you're you're fairly correct in that <laughs> okay so and i want to start i want to start off right right with this when someone hands 
guys like me and you, like we all love big antlers, right? That's something that's not going to go away. But when, when someone shows us, Hey man, check out this trail cam picture. Your eyes don't necessarily go to the rack. What do your eyes go to when somebody hands you a, a picture of a big buck? I mean, and it happens a lot. Um, the first thing I like to look at is just, you know, the deer, the deer himself. Put your hands over his antlers um, and, and and look at the maturity of the deer. And that's what gets me going. Um, you know, a, a three-year-old on our farm, we had one last year. Um, you could tell just by looking at him, he was just tiny, um, was not a dominant deer at all. Um, but he had close to 170 inches of antler on his head and he was impressive but i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing him in a couple of years um his body will be filled out a lot more um he'll be a much smarter animal and, and you know he'll be a much more worthy opponent as far as the chess match goes and, and hopefully you know by then he'll have a lot more inches of antler on his head but but no the overall um you know looking at a deer what really gets me going is seeing just a true mature animal. Um, if you look at some of the deer that I've killed in the last several years, none of them are real high scoring deer. Um, and probably not impressive to a lot of guys out there, but you know, it's not about the inch of the antler on his head. I know a lot of guys say that, but I mean, it's hard to explain, but when you're in a tree and you actually get to lay your eyes on a, a truly mature deer, in his own environment and doing what he does. Um, there's nothing else like it out there. Um, right. I love it. I absolutely love it. Right. And I think that go, that's, that goes a long way when you say something like that, because there are a group of people out there who will never see, uh, let's say a mature, or I'm not even going to say, use, use the word mature. I'm going to say there's a group of people out there that will never see from the antler department a Boone and Crockett deer. But there's also yeah. another group of people out there who will never see a a mature deer. And that is something that to me is in a completely different category. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how heck you talk about, you know, guys that are hunting public land um, and working their tails off, you know, a three-year-old deer may be a mature deer for that area and that is a heck of a trophy you know um you know i'm lucky enough to have a few farms where you know i, I have permission to to hunt them solely um and you know we we do see you know not quite a few but um we do have encounters with four five six seven eight year old deer usually every year and it's awesome i love it i don't I'm, i don't even know what else to say right um, there's there's something different about a okay you know you let's say you're looking into a crp field right and all of a sudden a set of antlers pop up and you're like holy shit that's a big that's a big antler deer but but then something else happens when that deer starts getting closer or a deer starts getting closer and you can see it's just a slob from you you know it's like a 300 pound deer and yeah. it's the head is huge on it. The big old gut, you know, sway back, yes. just looks like a pit bull walking through the oh, timber, yeah. slobbering. That right yep. there gets me going probably just as much as 
checking a trail camera and seeing a uh, seeing a a, a a picture of a deer that's going to go boot and crock it just for antlers alone. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, I was fortunate enough last year to have two really good hunts and got them on video. The number one and will probably always be, um, our number one hit list buck of all time. Um, I know you've watched the video, um, Oscar. Yep. Um, that deer was an absolute legend on our farm. Uh, we knew him from when he was two, um, in 2011, no, 2010, he was two. Um, and we killed him last year as eight and a half year old. Um, without a doubt, we knew exactly how old he was. We followed the deer. We've got pictures. We've seen him. We saw him out of the combine probably 10 times. Um, we saw him out of the truck window and saw him while we were hunting. And we finally got him in the right spot last year on November 12th. And I was filming my brother. And you're right. I mean, I'm sitting here looking out the window right now, just reliving the hunt. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But that deer was, he, he actually had gone downhill just a little bit um, as far as body-wise. He couldn't go downhill in the antler department. He was never anything. Um, I, I don't know exactly what was wrong with that deer, but he was just, you know, I hate to say a genetically inferior deer because he may not have been. He, may, he might have got sick when he was young and never could recover from it. You never know. Yeah. But he was just, he was a very distinguishable deer and he had an attitude like no other deer that I've ever been able to hunt. And every time we saw him, he was very visible. He was just extremely hard to kill. Um, he knew, it's almost like he knew us better than we knew him. Um, and, and we don't pressure the farm. That's another thing. I mean, we hunt it very lightly and try not to let him know that we're there, but he was just an incredible animal to watch. He was, he was a very vocal deer too. Um, he was one of those deer that, you know, he'd walk around in the woods just like every other deer, but he would stop, you know, maybe, you know, put his head down and feed on acorns or be chasing a doe. But every time before he would go to move again, he would grunt like two or three times, just every time. And yeah. when you watch the raw footage, when I watch the raw footage, you know, it's hard to, you know, showcase it in the show. And I, I didn't just because it took, you know, two or three more minutes to edit and put that together and, yeah, something I didn't feel like we needed to show on there, but yeah, it's, you can hear it in the raw video of him grunting every time he, I mean, he just, the way he carried himself or just, it blew my mind. Just, it was just awesome to watch and really a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, we never scored the deer. He probably didn't score 80 inches. I don't know. I mean, maybe he did. I don't know, but he was a mainframe seven pointer and that was all, all he ever was just you want to talk about a deer that you just hardly ever get to see you know yeah. as far as how they act and and i mean i got the video in for it was 12 to 15 minutes before we killed him and just being able to watch him in his own environment was something extremely special i'll never forget it right so i have a ton of questions i want to ask you about not only what you do with the properties that you hunt as far as land management is concerned, but just being around mature deer and being able to, you know, just observe them in their natural surroundings, look at them. I want to talk about an older age class of deer and all that stuff. But before we get into that, let's talk about what you do for a living. Okay. Uh, um, what do you well, do for a living? My number one job and what keeps me 
busy year-round is I am the editor and producer of the Management Advantage. Um, I do all the video work, all the editing. We have a web show, um, have our own website, YouTube channel, and we produce a new show uh, based around land management. Um, it may be fish ponds one week, it may be white-tailed deer the next or turkey the next. You just never know. Um, but that's that's what keeps me going. I do that, um, like I said, every two weeks. And we, we'll, we'll produce, you know, we're, we're um, sponsored by QDMA. We'll do some QDMA videos, um, and we'll do some little product spotlights because, you know, our sponsors pay our bills, so we've got to be able to show their products as well. But that that's what um, that's what I do full-time, and I also own uh, a predator removal business called C2 Predator Removal. Um, we could, That's a whole other story. We can get into right. the trapping side of things, probably never get off the phone, but today let's talk <laughs> about white-tailed white deer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so management yeah. advantage, it, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It talks about yeah. improving property for ha- wildlife. Is that correct? Exactly. exactly. Okay. So what draws, I mean, cause you're, you're not just the editor in that, but you're part of that, right. And producer. So what draws you to habitat improvement? What draws me to it? Yeah. I don't, I, it's just something because the hunting season only lasts, you know, so long and, and I don't hunt as much as everybody thinks I do. I mean, I pick my days and try to, you know, do it right and keep pressure off the deer. So, you know, that's a very limited amount of time that we get to spend in the woods. And for me, you know, going out and, and doing habitat work or planting food plots or doing whatever we're doing, it's something, it's, it's almost, it's a hobby. Um, right. I just like, I just like to do it. Um, me and my dad, I mean, our, our family farm, you know, that we go out there and, and work on stuff and, and it's just an, another way for us to, have something to do together um, and be in the outdoors. It's, it's what we love to do, and, and it gives us a chance to really get out there and have fun, learn the land, and, and also learn, you know, things about ourselves and, and and things about the deer. And it's just – it's a way to learn how to hunt without actually hunting in the off season, if, if that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. Um, and just the challenge of – the biggest thing for me is so what we've done on our family farm is it was basically you know bare bones it was a cattle farm um hardly any good wildlife habitat no food plots no cover um we we took that and manipulated the deer um we can make them bed where we want them the best you know not every time but we can get a general idea we can make them feed where we want them to feed and just figuring out that whole process on the fly. You know, I'm not an expert on this. I've, I'm learning by trial and error and, and listening to other people that are that are actually experts at it. And along the way, we've learned a lot of things and improved our place to where it is now. And let me tell you what, it's a heck of a difference whenever you start, whenever you put all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And we're far from being done. I mean that's the good thing about it is you can't, you're never going to do it all in a year. If you do, you're, you're, you're creating a job for yourself and, and you don't ever want it to feel like, like work, like right. an actual, like kind of, you don't want that. You want to pick it, 
pick apart at it, step back from it, look at it, see what you did is wrong, and then go back in and try something else and get it. So it's a year-to-year process, and it's something that it will never be done with in my lifetime, ever. Right. Um, there's always something new to try or new to do, and and we've got our you know our cornerstones basically. I guess you would call them cornerstones, but your you know your your overall objectives are will never change. But there's little things that you can do that always tweak it just a little bit. Right. So it's like it's like hunting itself right every year brings something different a different buck a different strategy so yes so it's not like it's there is ever a planned end it's just a it's always continuous improvement yeah and there's always a there's always a different storyline or different different angle that you know because you would think you know uh, like you look at Mark Jury or Lee Lukowski or any of them guys, you'd think year after year they'd get bored of killing Boone and Crockett deer, but there's right. always a different angle on every little deer, you know. It's just, that's what's cool about it. Nothing's ever really the same with it. Um, it it's always changing, and it seems like every deer shows you something else that you didn't know that maybe you thought you knew at the time, you know. Right. Um, they, can always, they can always throw you for a loop. It's, it's pretty pretty cool process so i want to talk a little bit about this at at a very high level because we could sit here and talk for days about what you've done to this this farm uh to improve it for for whitetails but Uh you know you you mentioned it was just a bare bones cattle farm when you started what are some of the things that you've done that have had the largest impact positive impact for Habitat improvement for whitetails on on this piece of property. On this piece, uh, number one and two is food and cover. Um, during the right time of the year, um, you know. It's, okay, so I'll give you the layout. It's basically a square 170 acre farm. 100 of that is tillable acreage, acreage, and then there's probably about 40 acres of actual timber on it. Okay, so when we started, you know. And it's, and it's kind of an island. It's not. It's connected to a little bit of timber, but it's on the end. So it, it's not like it's a major travel corridor, and, you know, you're right in the middle of all this stuff that's happening, and you just get deer just because it's in the right spot. We're, we're really not in the right spot. We had to make those deer want to stay there. So yeah. when I talk about a cattle farm, you know, you know, so about 50 acres of it was pasture land where the deer were actually running through the timber or the the cows were actually running in the timber um eating a lot of the vegetation inside the timber and then it's you know of course fescue pasture around all the timber so when we sold the cows um immediately started implementing native warm season grasses as a as a great cover crop or not a cover crop but as a cover source for the deer Um, basically to insulate the farm um you know went around every edge that i could um you know 60 foot buffers here and there and then creating you know one to two acre blocks of switch grass and then mixing it up with other kinds of native grasses and forbs um creating thick edges and then as you reach out into the switch grass kind of open it up just a little bit as far as not making it a really thick switch grass stand but um, promoting other weeds and grasses within it to to really 
hold the deer there, give them a place to bed, but also give them something to eat while they're in their cover. Right. So that was, when we talk about food, it's not always about food plots. Um, I mean, that right there, number one guy that taught me how to do that stuff is Eric Long, Drummond Law Wildlife Management. He is an expert when it comes to native, um, you know, basically food that equals cover within a farm. Yeah. Um, then also, you know, when I say cover and food, um, we also planted a bunch of food plots as well. Um, and, and that's the, the timing of the food. You know, 100 acres of our farm is tillable, so you think, well, we've got all the food in the world. Well, yeah, when September rolls around, all that gets yanked out. Um, right. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of corn and beans laying on the, you know, laying on the ground, but it's not, it's not a consistent enough food source to last through the year. So, right. you know, we've got basically three big food plots, and we'll rotate them between corn, soybeans, and uh, I got some clover, and then I also do some, you know, like radish and rye plots as well. But making sure that that food is there during the season to be able to hold those deer there is number one key as far as you know getting the deer where you want them during that time of year right so i know they all kind of play hand in hand with each other right you know like if you want deer to stay on your property you got to have food and cover and water yeah but is for you did you notice that maybe one trump to the other like when you brought food onto your property, did that bring more deer on your property as opposed to making uh, proper cover for them? I don't know for a 100% fact which one, you know, brought more deer because I did it at the same time. You know, if gotcha. I'd have done cover one year and then food the next, you, you might have been able to see a difference. I, mm-hmm. I just think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, you've, you've got to build them a home and you got to give them something to eat. And we did that in the same year and they responded tremendously. Gotcha. So you, you give them a house to live in, you give them food to eat, right? So now they have, they have a home, right? And so now you're creating, you're creating a situation where, now you you as a hunter have more control and you have the opportunity to select the deer that you're going to harvest. At what yeah. point did you guys decide, you know what, we are going to stop shooting, you know, 2 and 3 year olds or whatever it was and in or or even 4 year olds and say we're not going to shoot a deer until it is reached its pinnacle and that is a certain age. Well, <laughs> that's funny, a funny story, because I, I never really, from the time I started hunting, um, well, if you if you go back to when I was a little kid and, and I was sitting in a homemade wooden ladder deer stand with my dad, um, he drove a, I think it was like a 91 or an 80, it was either an 89 or a 91 regular cab board, and the bumper sticker on the back of his truck said, let a young buck go so he can grow that was and that was kind of ingrained in my head and so when i first started you know i first started uh hunting when i was uh let's see i don't even know how old it was 96 um 
shotgun hunting with a smoothbore shotgun and rifle sights. And like the first eight deer that I killed, I shot those. I just, I never had the urge to shoot a year and a half old deer. I don't know why. Yeah. It was just, I guess it was just ingrained in my head, you know, way back then. Right. Um, it was kind of on the, on the, right up the verge of, of deer management. And, and I'm not, you know, dad wasn't a prophet by any means by putting that on his bumper sticker or on his truck and, or saying that, but it was just something that, that I did. And, you know, growing up, dad, he shot some young bucks too. I remember sitting between his legs whenever he shot some deer with his bow. And, but we were, hell, we were dirt floor poor and that's what we ate while we were growing up was deer meat. But yeah. whenever I started hunting myself, I just, I never, never shot a deer that was young. The first buck that I actually killed um, was a five and a half year old mainframe 10 corner. I was sitting on the ground and he walked up and I shot him 40 yards. But, um, as far as I'm trying to trying to answer your question, um, as far as you know, if you're a guy that you know wants to you know navigate into the process of, of trying to to harvest you know mature deer instead of shooting a year and a half or two and a half or even a three and a half year old deer, um, it's just a it's all part of of learning learning the game and and, and bettering yourself. Um, you know, if you, if you, if you shoot every two year old that walks by you, you're never going to kill another mature, you're never going to kill a mature deer. Um, right. it's all about just, just trying to get better at what you do. And, and it all goes back to like the land management stuff. You know, we're always trying to figure out different ways to make the property better for the deer. So, you know, if you're a guy that wants to try to shoot a mature deer, okay, let's let that deer walk. Right. And then, you know, you may you might have to go a year or two without not without shooting a deer but whenever you get to that that spot where you're shooting mature deer and i'm not saying that you know we've got huge farms every little every farm that i've got that i have is tiny so you know we're not holding we're not able to hold these deer i'd be stupid if i thought that they all stayed on our farm all the time you know they're going to the neighbor's places so but uh I lost my train of thought right there, and that's okay Frank. because I, I, I want <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to ask you, you know I, I hear this comment all the time when I ask guys questions. They they say to me, mm-hmm. "Well, in my area, a, a, two, a two or three year old deer is a mature deer." Well, I, I see a problem with that statement. I see. Yeah. A deer is not mature until it's mature. It doesn't like yeah. being mature for your area doesn't mean shit. It just means that guys are killing more younger deer. A two year old yeah. is never going to yeah. be a mature deer. I don't care what state you're in. Yeah. So what's wrong yeah. with that statement? What's wrong with it is it's, it goes back to that old saying that daddy did it that way. So that's the way I'm going to do it. I guess that was, um, yeah. And I know people like that, too. And yeah. sometimes you just can't get that through their head. You've almost got to you, – you've got to prove it to them firsthand that that – you know what I mean? Because yeah. um, if you go – say I had a 1,000 acres of property, and I was shooting every two-year-old buck on the place. Well, you're, you're taking out that year class every year, and you're never going to have a mature deer. But yeah. if you start to manage – 
and pass on those deer and you get them to a five-year-old or even four-year-old or even a three-year-old you could shoot every five-year-old on your piece of property and next year you're going to have another batch of five-year-olds that's coming up right absolutely so just slide your scale from a one and a half or two and a half up to a three or a four-year-old the first couple years shoot those deer and then better yourself just make it a baby step program you're never going to get a guy that is shooting one and two year old deer to just automatically switch over and and shoot five year olds right if you think you can do that or if you can do that please tell me how to make that work (laughs) there's several places (laughs) there's several places that i would love to be able to do that but it's it's one of those things you just can't force people to do you kind of got to baby step them into it and maybe show them firsthand that it works you know maybe you're a part of a club and you know you take a video camera with you and you video a two-year-old walk by you and then that guy kind of looks at you and maybe you gain a little respect with him you know maybe he probably won't tell you that right off the bat but right maybe the next time he's out hunting he'll say well casey passed up this two-year-old i might not want to shoot it because they might make fun of me or you know we're just trying to better ourselves you know in the club it's just a baby step process Absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. If a guy wants to shoot a two-year-old, you know, go for it. Shoot a two-year-old. But there are there's a this group there's a group of people out there that piss me off almost as much as anybody, any other hunters piss me off. And it's the kind of guy that says, "Well, you know, if I don't shoot it, my neighbor's going to shoot it, or if I don't shoot it, you know, I won't get a deer this year." Well, no, yeah. I don't like that fact because there's plenty of does in the woods that need to get shot all over the country. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, here, I'll, I'll ask you this question. When you decided to stop shooting immature deer and go for the higher age class, did you ever have to eat your tag or get a little tr- – a trigger itchy, you know, like, Oh my God, this, there's a, a big three-year-old walking by and I, I want to shoot him so bad, but you laid off of him because he wasn't old enough. Did you ever run into anything like that? No. Um, a, a three-year-old really doesn't trip my trigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no pun intended. They just, I mean, those are, those are the type of deer that I look at and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish I could tie him to a tree and let him get to five. Yeah. Um, just never, you know, every, every time I go to shoot a, shoot at a deer, whether it's a doe or a mature buck, you know, that's when my heart gets to racing. I mean, a, a doe gets me worked up just as much as a big buck whenever I know that I'm going to try to shoot that deer. Right. But whenever I have it in my head that I'm not going to shoot that deer, you know, I'll sit, I'm, I'm totally relaxed when I'm in the tree stand. And I'll just sit there and, and enjoy the show and, and, and be happy that I'm getting to watch him as a three-year-old and hopefully you know, the following year, we'll get to see him again. It's just it's just one of those things that I just never, you, you've got to get it in your head that no matter what, you're not going to kill that deer. Right. And if it's January 1st and the season's winding down, what good is that going to do? Yeah. You know, you're going to, if, if at the beginning of the season you had your mind, you had him on the no-shoot list. And then on January 1st, because you hadn't killed another buck, you kill him. And then you go home, and it was probably kind of exciting there for a little bit, but then you got to be sitting there in the back of your head going, that gummit, Casey, why'd you do that? 
yeah. you said you weren't going to do it. So right. basically, set a goal and stick to it. You know, right. Right. There, there's no reason to, to go away from it because I mean, if it's January first, you're getting late in the season. There's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to make it, and that's when your management season starts over again, and you get to start tweaking things, and you know, manipulating and setting your cameras again, and then July or August when you get that first picture of him again it's way more rewarding to see that deer the next year than it is to have his rack thrown in the corner of your garage on the floor and you never look at it again right absolutely so now you've been it sounds to me like you've been committed for a a very long time and it's been ingrained in your head from day one almost that yeah an immature deer no matter how big its antlers are it's, it's not something you're looking for. Nope. I just, I, I like to kill big mature deer. Um, yeah. And I'm, when I say big, it's not necessarily cause he's got big antlers on his head. I mean, I just, I like to see a mature deer because they're just, they're so much more of a worthy opponent. You know, you have a food plot any afternoon around here and you know, you'll have two or three or four or five year and a half old bucks in it. And maybe a two year old steps out, but those, you know, those deer, they just, they, they haven't caught on to the, the game yet, if, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. You start looking at a, you know, it seems like the, the switch really flips from a three to a four-year-old. Um, you know, the three-year-olds, that's the majority of what gets killed. You know, you look at, you know, 130, 140-inch deer, a lot of guys are killing those. You know, he's a lot of, a lot of three-year-old deer, but when they when they go to that four-year-old age class, it's like their brain just totally goes through an overhaul and they're, they're a whole different animal. And then you get into five and six and seven, and then you're looking at maybe having one or two days out of a whole season that that deer will be up on his feet during daylight hours. And that's the chess game. That's, that's the game that, that is so hard, but so rewarding when you figure it out and, and know when that deer, you know, we often, I mean, I, and there's probably a little bit of luck involved in, in a lot of the deer that we kill, but I like to think that if you really are a student of the game and study things, uh, weather patterns, um, do your habitat manipulation and your and your wildlife management, and keep the stress off the farms and really try to figure it out, that's that's where it pays off. Right, right. I want to talk about characteristics of a mature buck and i don't mean like what their body looks like i want to talk about what their attitude looks like and i know deer from sitting in in a a tree stand a lot throughout you know the last 10 years i've witnessed mature bucks and immature bucks and they all have different personalities just like humans do but i want to talk about some maybe some things that every mature buck kind of has uh, or something that you've uh, witnessed that, you know, once a buck hits maturity, it is going to do this or it's going to do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing that every mature buck has is a sixth sense. Everybody, <laughs> you know, it just seems like. Right. You know, something can go wrong at any minute and you can't explain it, and it's like they can feel your presence. Um, uh, one thing that I have noticed when you when you look at 
extremely mature deer, like say Oscar, or um, I killed another deer in 2014 out there at Grandpa's farm. We called him Grandpa. He was 10 and a half. Yeah. But when you start looking at extremely mature, like seven, eight, nine, you know, and those deer have an attitude, like they are king from what I've observed. And right. if you can get those deer in the right spot, um, like Oscar, or like Grandpa, if you can get them in the right spot, when I say right spot, I mean, you know, you see them and you kind of be patient and let them get to where maybe they cannot get downwind of you. Mm-hmm. You don't leave at that deer, they turn inside out. Every, yeah. every, every super mature deer that I've ever had the opportunity to hunt, if I could get them in the right spot and snort leaves at them, they turned inside out and they come right to the tree. Right. Now, you know, you look at a, you know, two or three year old deer, you might snort leaves at him and he'll run the other direction. <laughs> they, you know, yeah. they, they don't want anything to do with it because, and, and, you know, and it might be because you're in a spot where maybe you are hunting a, a super mature deer and they might think it's him. Just snort yeah. leaves at him and like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that deer. Yeah. I don't want my so, ass kicked again. Yeah, that that's one thing that 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 I have noticed over the years um, when hunting a true mature deer. You know, when right. you get into that seven, eight, nine, ten year old age class, um, I sure hope that Ben can get pork oh, yeah. in the right spot and get a snorkel in on him because I guarantee you he's going to walk underneath of him. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I say this a lot, but there's a handful of stories that I'm following this year. Uh, as far as guys who have had encounters with, you know, bucks from previous years. And one of them yep. is our buddy Ben and that buck pork, man. I hope he, yep. I, I want, I hope me and you are on a blood trail again later this year. Uh, but walk up, to, walk up to the deer, man. I can't wait. I'm about an hour and 10 minutes from Ben's farm. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as he calls me and says, I got an arrow in him, I'm coming. I don't yeah. care. It's November 10th and it's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get down. And come <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now I want to talk yeah. to you a little bit about snort wheeze, the snort wheeze. Yep. I've had experiences just like you have where maybe you snort wheeze and a buck turns around and hauls ass the other way. That probably yep. means that either you suck at snort wheezing or that there's another buck in the area that's more dominant than the deer that you think is the, in the dominant. And I had an, yeah. I had a, in 2012, I shot a buck, um, that I believe to be in the taxidermist said he was probably a six year old and mm-hmm. I grunted at him. He ignored it. I rattled. He ignored it. I kind of went, that's that, that tends to be my order of oper or used to be my order of operations as far as calling a deer and mm-hmm. the buck just ignored those two things. And then he kind of walked away. He made a big loop, and he was he was sent checking this bedding area. And he was kind of working his way away from me again. And I let out a snort wheeze, and it stopped him right in his tracks. He looked over <laughs> in my area and ears back from about oh, 80 yards, made his way directly to my tree stand where I ended up shooting him. But what yeah. is it when you're in a, in a tree and it – it's time to call at a deer, especially a mature buck. 
what are you looking for as far as maybe their their posture or their body language before you even make a call? Um, let me think here. I'm trying to think. Let me think here. Um, I'll tell you out? this. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that. No, that's that's fine. I'll tell you this. So we've all been there where we've if a if a buck maybe gets spooked, right? And yeah. Yeah. I've I've done this before, and it's on film, dude. I had a probably a hundred and eighty inch typical twelve walk coming right to me, and my Ozonics went out i had i had deer running through in front of me all night long and this giant comes out my ozonics battery was dead from sitting in in that stand for almost all day and this was back this was like 2008 or 9 and that buck hit my wind and it was just like he froze up i saw his body get you know tighten up he he went full attention yeah. and yeah. he stops, he turns around, he starts to walk away. So what does my dumbass do? I crack the rattling antlers together, right? Big, lear- <laughs> big time learning experience for me. Yeah. That didn't. Yeah. Work. I mean, if, okay. Yeah. Now I kind of got you. If, I mean, if a deer is alert, um, you know, maybe he's already sniffed one tiny little molecule of you. It's probably not the best time to call, um, you know, put yourself in the deer stand, Say it's November fifth, and the deer is just cruising right on through. And um, especially, okay, so I'll put you in the scenario of like last year when we were sitting in the tree stand and we saw Oscar. He comes in straight down windows. That's I first we're in a thicket. He comes out. We've got a bunch of uh, Japanese hunting stuff on farm that I really need to get in there and get out of there. But when I first saw him, he was at thirty five yards directly behind us straight downwind we had two ozonics running he had not a clue in the world so he's up on a high bank and he's on the same bank that we're, we're on a high little ridge and he's up there at the same level we are he drops down into the creek and he's in a little bottom and he's going away from us and i wanted him to get as far upwind as i could before i smell weed at him so at the same time it, it was almost like just like okay so he's going away from us and on this on up on the ridge with us on the high side a buck a little buck was chasing a doe and he could hear those deer up there but he couldn't see them and so that little buck chased that doe right underneath our stand and right back where oscar had came from and the whole time he's walking away he's stopping and he's listening and he can hear those deer up there and it was that classic you know sound in the woods in the middle of november a, a little you know a buck chasing a doe just just going through there and he could hear that and he knew what was going on but he couldn't get up there he couldn't see it but when he got to a certain point he could get up on that ridge with us when he got up on that ridge with us i snort wheezed at him and lights just flipped because he knew that he heard a deer chasing a doe up there and he couldn't stand it and he walked directly to the tree so that's kind of what i'm talking what i'm talking about as far as you know letting that deer get in the right spot and kind of answering your question yeah as far as when 
when do you call to him? I let that deer go from 35 yards behind us to about 120 yards in front of us. Yeah. Before I, before I called to him, but that whole time I'm videoing him. And that's another good thing about videoing is you're, you know, constantly zoomed in on a deer and you can read his body language. It's kind of like, you know, same way with turkey hunting. You can read a, what a gobbler's doing when he's out in the field. But as he was walking, he was listening. You could almost read his mind like, I know what's going on up there. I'm about to go kick somebody's ass. Yeah. Without even Jordan wheezing at him. He just knew that somebody was in his house chasing his ladies around. So yeah. when he got 120 yards straight up wind of us, he couldn't take it. And there was no way that he could get down wind of us at that point. He was up on that high ridge with us. There's no way he could get back down in the creek and try to circle around. And that was a day that I'd waited on for the last six years. <laughs> Wow. to get him in that spot right there and it just happened perfect i hate to keep going back to that deer but that's that was just once oh, in man. a lifetime that type deal i go to i go back to a deer that turned you know i ended up not killing but a buck i call shipwreck man i i i go back to that buck for like so many learning experiences, what to do what not to do um you know how to put yourself in position to to you know chase mature deer and it was that buck in particular that gave me an education on um how how to hunt deer in general but also how to hunt mature deer and what oh, yeah. they what they like and what they you know what they like and what they dislike yeah those they will definitely take you to school before before oh, yeah. you take them to... <laughs> absolutely absolutely and yeah. it's almost it's almost embarrassing at times the way they can outsmart you, uh, and oh, and yeah. at the and then at at the same time, just like just like humans get so horned up and pissed off that they will make big ass mistakes just to bring oh, you. Yeah. Out. Yep, yep, they can't take it. So. I want to I want to continue down this mature you know characteristics of a mature buck and one thing I've noticed is you know the window the older they get and like you've kind of mentioned the shorter the window of exposure throughout the season that they uh-huh. that they uh, um, you know they expose themselves especially in daylight hours. Um, last year on one of my farms, the very first daylight picture of a mature buck that I got on trail camera was October 28th with like 10 minutes of daylight left in the, in the day. And, Uh and then there's that window of however many days, but the oldest, most mature buck made daylight three, I want to say three three days he made uh he made daylight and that was only oh man i want to say november 7th 8th and 9th on on a particular trail camera and then he disappeared again now because you get to observe not only mature bucks but the deer herd in general on on these farms that you you manage do you feel that as a as a deer gets older, it is breeding less does or more does throughout the season, throughout the rut? Uh, I don't. I hate to even make an assumption on it. I mean, conventional wisdom says that you know they probably breed less does, 
Um, you know, if you look at some studies that the guys have done, they say, you know, a two or three year old deer will breed more more does than a six year old will. So I I don't I don't know. Um, I guess that's my only comment. Like Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. I guess. <laughs> I, but, you know, I I don't really start to read into that as much as a lot of people do. I guess. Right. Um, in the grand scheme of, the, of things, how important? I mean, how important is that when you when you're trying to kill one? I, I don't know. Right. Um, I know they're going to participate in the rut, and you just kind of got to catch them on the right day. So. Right. I try to focus a little more on, you know, when is that day? Um, right. and, and it's different. So getting, getting into that, um, every farm that we have is different. Um, every part of the country, and, and when I say my farms that I'm hunting, they're 5, 10, 15 miles apart. Every farm is different as far as, you know, the last several years in my observation on when those deer are doing their thing. You know, I've right. got some that are, you know, 6, 7, 8 is prime time every year on that farm. Another farm, 10th through the 14th, prime time every year on that farm. And I don't know if that's just the individual does that are on those properties, that that's when they come into estrus, or, you know, how that correlates, but that's just another part of the learning learning process. But being observant, right. not just scrolling through your trail cam pictures and deleting every one of them if it doesn't have a buck on it, but trying to you know analyze each and every little thing about those trail camera pictures and trying to figure out you know why those deer are doing what they're doing during that time of year or during that you know what time of day they're moving or when they're in a certain spot you know what i mean right absolutely now i've always kind of lived by the uh motto if a buck shows up on trail camera in the middle of the night or it, while it's dark out, it's almost like not having a trail cam picture of that buck at all because you can't you can't hunt at night. Yeah. Have you have you witnessed and maybe through because I know you run a lot of trail cameras as well, but when do these big mature bucks start to move? And I know it's different on every farm, but from a from a, a, a pre rut rut late October type time frame have you have you seen any similarities of when the the oldest most mature bucks get off of their feet get off of their gut and on their feet um it depends on the year um to me and the weather patterns that you have um i i firmly believe you can slip in and kill a deer any time of the season as long as you have the right weather pattern um in the right, you know, cold front that comes through. Um, you know, early season is a great time to kill a mature deer. Um, they're still halfway on their summer pattern. Um, they're living pretty close to that food. And, you know, right now is a big time. Right now there's a big shuffle going on. You know, if you if you run trail cameras in the summertime, and I've had mine out since, you know, end of June or 1st of July, which is way too early, but I always put them out. All of our farms... You know, we get the same pictures of the same deer pretty much all summer. And then you get into this time frame and they start, you know, bachelor groups start to bust up, the velvet starts to come off, and there's a big shuffle. And we have a big turnover in our part of the world. And I think it has to do with, you know, what kind of habitat we have and as far as where our farm is located. 
Um, it seems like right between right now and the first October, all the deer that we'll have to hunt October and November move in right now. Yeah. We hardly ever have deer in the summertime that stay through the velvet and then stay on in the hard horn and on into the rut. It's just a weird process. But um, it's like right now is when my scouting starts as far as, um, you know, what deer I'm going to be able to target. You know, we've got yeah. several deer that, that will be back from last year. I had pictures of them in March carrying their antlers, and I haven't got a picture of them yet. Yeah. But they're just they're, they're, they're MIA right now. But going back to your question, you know, early October is a great time to kill a deer. You know, we always rely on a cold front and a good food source. Um, crops are normally, you know, your soybeans are turning brown, they're turning off, so the deer are going to go away from them for a little bit. You know, I really like to hunt on a green food source early season, not rocket science, something that everybody talks about. Um, but looking for that right weather front and right pressure. Middle October is good. Um, a lot of people like to talk about the low, but if you're in the right spot and you can pick up on a deer and what he's doing that time of year, you can get lucky and slip in there and try to kill him. As far as, you know, late October, um, I killed Grandpa on October 31st, or October 30th, actually. Um, that was another one of those where I had trail cameras up. He showed up middle of October, and he started daylighting on October 22nd, and he was coming to that food plot, and he was just checking those. You can see him out there, and that's he came out into the plot, was running does all over the place, and he got in the right spot. I snort weaved at him, and he turned inside out, and I shot him 10 yards. Um, you get on into November, and like I said, it's every farm is different. I try to target different ones on those different days. Um, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th, I may hunt a, a specific farm because I know those deer are going to be doing their thing on those three days. It, it just from a year-to-year deal, that's just something that I picked up on. And then, you know, another farm might be the 9th, 10th, 11th, and another farm might be the 10th through the 14th. And I just try to run my trail cameras at the right times, um, you know, go in on – I never run all my trail cameras on the same day when it gets in the season. I'll try to, you know, be as scent-free as possible and pick the right wind where I can get in and check a trail camera with the right wind so no deer know that I'm there. Um and that's really important where I hunt. It may not be as important in other parts of the country, but where 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 I'm hunting and where I'm trying to kill these deer, they're they're bedding in a very small spot. And if you go in there with the wrong wind, you blow them out. So you try to get in there, figure out what the deer are doing without them knowing you're there. You know, yeah. amateur stuff. Nothing. It's not rocket science. Just use your head um, and try to figure them out. And right. I'm not so, an expert at it by any means. I just try to use my head and, and get in there and kill a mature deer. Right, right. So I want to talk to you about, you know, you got some of these guys, uh, and there's there's some of my listeners out there that hunt these very high-pressured public grounds that, you know, just get tromped on all year long, yeah. you know, from the day the season opens and even before until the very last day, there's pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, yeah. And the deer are still there. They're doing their thing, but they're just almost completely nocturnal. Now, on a farm like yours where you have, 
uh, on a farm like yours where you have, um, you know, very low pressure, relatively low pressure, and you, but you're still very critical about going in on, let's say, certain winds to check trail cameras. If you do uh-huh. bump a deer, does that deer typically come back into the picture or is it gone? It seems like, okay, so say I just threw caution to the wind and went in and checked the trail camera. And my wind was blowing into, you know, a lot of my places are like a 20-acre block timber or a 10-acre block timber or cover. And I'm blowing all my scent down through there. And I haven't done that for the last three weeks. And those deer have been just kind of acting like deer and doing their thing, and they're kind of on a pattern. And I check that camera, and I'm getting pictures of them, and I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to go in there and kill a big deer. Those deer will change their patterns. It's it's almost like, even when you're hunting a spot, okay, so everybody always says the best chance to kill a big deer is your first time. That's extremely true, because even if you hunt a spot with the right wind, there's going to be deer figure out that you were there. And every time you go back, it's going to get exponentially worse. Um, so I, I just think you know, being extreme, you can never be too careful when you're trying to approach a deer because they will figure out that you were there. And, you know, they may come back, but it might be, you know, hour after daylight or middle of the night or, Sometimes they'll just leave, you know. Right. You just ne- you just never know. Um, yep. Of course, you get into the rut, and it's a whole different story. I mean, you got deer coming in and out, and, and new deer showing up all the time. Um, I mean, that's a whole other story. We can get into that too. Yeah, for sure. Now, <laughs> you know, we like like I said, we could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours about you know all these different uh, ins and outs of of mature bucks, but. I want to talk about how you put together a, a list. You know, you have you have diff, different circumstances than others do, um, where you have the ability to, you know, highly manage uh, pieces of property and basically pick and choose what deer that you want to go after. So, I want to talk about what makes a deer, you know, what puts a deer on your hit list every year. Four years old or older. That's it. That's it? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't really look that far into it. I think you, you kind of set a guideline with what you want to go with and then just kind of let things unfold. Uh, if you look at my season last year, I had, I had, by October 1st, I had 19 deer that were four years or older on camera. And this is spread out over five different farms. Right. I hadn't killed a deer until November 5th. I go in on a spot. I was trying to, I had pictures of this one deer that was old enough to kill or that set my guidelines on this farm. It's a little 120 acre farm that's surrounded by public land, pressured extremely hard. Um, I'm literally hunting, and it's, it's a narrow 120. So I'm literally hunting 100 yards from public land all the way around. Um, I go in, had a game plan in my mind show up and the deer steps out 30 minutes after daylight i've never had a trail cam picture of me and 
the deer's not extremely high scoring. He was 135 inches. And as he comes out, you know, I'm sitting there going, wow, I don't, I don't know this deer, but he's, he's definitely mature. His tarsal glands are staying down his legs. He's thick body, full neck. And he was pushing those around, laying his ears back at other bucks. That's a mature deer. And at first I was like, I don't want to shoot him because I didn't know him. But then in the back of my head, I'm going, Casey, that's a mature deer. What are you doing? Let's get, let's do this. And so the deer comes up there, poses perfectly, does everything right. The second angle is beautiful. It's looking down the arrow. I shoot the deer. And I was as excited as if that was a deer that I had five years of history with. Awesome. Um, he was a, he was either a four or five year old deer. Um, you know, going by his tooth where he was, you know, 230 pounds, big deer. Um, he didn't score Like I said, he's only 135 inches, but the way he acted and the way he came out and, and the way it all went down, it was just, it was, it's whatever guy dreams of when they're high. And, yeah. uh, so I don't, that really, I kind of got on a ramble right there, but you know, as far as my, what I feel is a deer that I want to go after. It's real simple. Just four year old or better. Okay. Even um, if even if there's a deer that is let's say you have on on a particular farm, which I'm assuming the the way you're talking you do, you know, you probably have multiple deer over four years old, let's say five, six and older, right? Uh it depends on what farm it is. Um yeah, some of them there's multiple deer that are five or six. This this year will be probably the best year that I'll have as far as getting pictures of those mature deer on one farm specifically. We had um, six of them left last year that were four or better and they were alive in March. And I don't have any pictures of them yet, but I haven't checked cameras in about a month. So gotcha. Gotcha. I'm probably going to do that tomorrow. (laughs) Nice. But um, anyway, go ahead with your question. Four years. No, I was just curious if, uh, um, you know, if given certain circumstances, you know, you have, let's say you have two or three bucks in that five, six, seven year old age range. Does your hit list then change based off of what you have available? Like, are you trying to kill the most mature deer or is it, or am I just overboard with it? It's all, it's always going to be four years old or older. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, say I got five bucks on a piece of property and one of them is a six-year-old that's going to go 170, but I've got four other bucks that are five-year-old and they may go 130 to 160 or whatever. I'm not going to set my sights on one deer and let one of those other five-year-olds walk by me. I mean, that goes everything. I mean, why would you? It's a mature, I mean, to me anyway, you know, it's a mature deer. And I know there's guys out there that like to chase, you know, big antlers and want to kill the biggest deer they can but you only get so many opportunities at a deer like that and for me especially hunting small properties you can't expect you know i'm not hunting a thousand acres and i don't have the reason to try to go and kill this one specific deer and i don't have you know every little area that he might be in i can't i don't have access to every every little place so 
you know, that deer, deer may be utilizing a place that I have access to hunt once or twice. And if he walks in front of me, you, you've got to take advantage of him. I mean, yeah. what more can you ask for? You know, it's not like I'm hunting. It's not like I'm hunting that thousand acre block where I've got him figured out and, and I know everything about him. You know, I, I'm, I'm still only getting bits and pieces. You know, it's not like, yeah, I'm extremely lucky with what I have to hunt, but it's not like I'm Mark Curry yeah. and and going out to have access to, you know, every angle of, of the farm and know exactly where he's going. And, you know, some of these deer may go a mile and live on somebody else's place. Yeah. And he comes back once in the rut, and I have a chance to kill him. You know, I'm going to take advantage of it just for the sheer fact that I know that I may not ever, you know, get the opportunity at, at, at a mature deer again. You know, you, you can only count on so many times during the season that you'll get to see that deer. So, yeah. or those, or those, you know, say out of those five deer, if one of them lost by you. Absolutely. So, absolutely. We have a two buck limit here in Illinois, and uh, I've only killed two bucks once in my life in a, in a season. Nice. Um, usually, usually if I get that one buck, it's, that's good enough for me. And, and I and I pull the reins back, and I'll go film my brother, or my dad, or my wife, or somebody else, and try to get them killing deer on film. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Casey, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on the show, and uh, let me be the let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming season. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I guess I'll call again at the time, and we'll talk for two hours about it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And there you have it. Hopefully everybody has a great weekend. Huge shout out to Casey for taking time out of his day and joining us on this podcast. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit about a something. Anyway, anything. Uh, I always enjoy talking with Casey. Hopefully you liked what he had to say. Huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast. Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ozonics, Gearhead Archery, Wasp Archery, Ripcord Archery, Deer Lab. Uh, Be sure to check out those partners. Uh, They support me, so if you could please support them, I would really, really like it. Other than that, guys, check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook. Be sure, wherever you are listening to this podcast, to hit the subscribe button and uh, get all of the kick-ass, badass podcasts that come down this RSS feed. And uh, other than that, guys, be safe when you're out in the timber this year. And remember to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.